0: <laughs> no, no, <let's> <laughs> Welcome Lee. You need that one. Cheers. <laughs> Tommy's up next week. Roxanne's um, just a little bit ahead of herself there. <laughs> <laughs> ah goodness. Well, well, as you can see, there it is, the topic, Job, a man of character. And I just will make a quick mention. Uh, I'll say it publicly because <laughs> people forget. Um, so those on media, do remember, as soon as I've read the point or the scripture, do take the slide deck down because it looks weird on YouTube. If you've uh, got me chatting away and the, there's a slide up there and I'm not talking about it anymore. So do bear that in mind. Let's have a quick, a quick word of prayer. Father, we want to give you thanks, Lord. You are the almighty God. And... Um, as a church, uh, there was a wonderfully positive, exciting, enthusiastic atmosphere here in the church this morning, and we thank you for that, Lord. But we're also a church, we want to be real. We want to deal with the realities of being in this world, which is fallen, and sometimes there is suffering. And uh, no one on planet Earth knows that more than the character Job. And so, Father, as we explore uh, the story of his life this morning, we pray that you'd speak to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, welcome uh, to just a one-off message here on the topic, Job, a man of character. Job, a man of character. Now, as I've been reading the um, Bible commentator, Henry Morris, he writes an excellent commentary about the, the life of Job. And one of the things that um, he states is that he thinks Job could be the oldest complete book of the Bible meaning that the early chapters of Genesis obviously come before Job, but the latter chapters may well come after his life. So in other words, as a complete book, it's possible it's the oldest complete book of the Bible. I lean that way as well. I know there were some modern scholars in the late 1800s that felt, oh, Job could have been written during the period of the exile because it matches some of that literature. But the reality is that form of literature had been around for a couple of thousand years And uh, and the problem is with their statement too, is it completely clashes with the Jewish folk and what they believed, the ancient Jewish folk, about the book of Job. They considered a very ancient document and so did the early church. And uh, I I lean that way as well. I think it may well have been a complete book before Genesis was even finished. Um, Now, Abraham is not mentioned in the book. And that is one of the reasons I lean that way. You'll see that right throughout the scriptures. Abraham's always looked back as the beginning of the patriarchs. The fact that Job doesn't even mention Abraham is, again, leaning to me. It was written probably a little bit before Abraham's life. The events took place a little bit before Abraham's life. Now, according to the chronology of Genesis 11, Abraham was born... Uh, less than 300 years after the Great Flood. So about 292 years after the Great Flood. We have the genealogy in the Bible. And therefore, the Great Flood, if Job was perhaps even a little earlier than Abraham, um, may have only been 250 years or something before. So you'd think it'd be fresh, still kind of in their minds. And so you'd expect to read about it in the Book of Job. Well, certainly it's there. It's mentioned and alluded to. I'll read you a little portion. Job 22.15. Will you keep to the old path that the wicked one, the wicked have trod? They were carried off before their time, their foundations washed away by a flood. They said to God, Leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Something that seems to be clearly referring to the great flood there in the book of Job. Um, Henry Morris makes this statement. Uh, he says. Uh, The name of Job has been found in a number of tablets dated 2000 BC. So that's the time of Abraham or earlier. And so there is some evidence to support uh, those who have that theory that it's a very ancient book. Well, let's dig into the book itself, Job 1.1. Let's look at the first verse. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Um, Now, immediately, we learn something of Job's character. You know, he he lived a morally upright life. Uh, He had a respect for God. And what about this land of Uz? I wonder why it was called Uz. Well, let's have a look here at the genealogy of the Semites. 10.21. The sons were also born to Shem. That's Noah's son, whose elder brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arexaphat, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Uz. So Uz is Noah's great-grandson. Now, some scholars believe that there is a little bit of evidence, if you're careful with your archaeological and literature research, that there is some evidence that an ancient village of Uz was established by Noah's grandson, that That grew, that developed, and ultimately the place became known as the land of Oz. Well, where was it? Well, Lamentations gives us a little bit of an insight. Have a look at 421. It says, Rejoice and be glad, daughter of Edom, you who live in the land of Oz. So, Edom, it seems that's about in the same area. And so, if we just put up a map for a moment, let's have a look at this. So, the land of Oz is probably around about that area. So, Edom's just a little bit north of that. Um, so it gives you some idea of where it would have been. Job one two says this, He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. There's a number of things there. We know he's, he's a family man. We know he's a wealthy man. And when he uses that term, he was the greatest man, it probably means he was well-known and well-respected in the East. Now, there, I'm going to move to a complete contrast. We're going to, as if we're going to take our spiritual binoculars now and turn them up to the heavenly realm. Let's have a look at verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered, From roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. Now, obviously, God is all knowing, He's omniscient, He knew exactly what Satan had been up to, but actually, He's very graciously making conversation. You know, um, uh, what have you been doing? Where have you been? That sort of thing. And Satan, to use our modern vernacular, really, he gives a very uncommitted answer. He doesn't really say anything. Oh, here and there, this and that. Well, it goes on. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So you get get something of God's character there, don't you? God, like a, a proud father saying, there's my boy Job. He's the best. So proud of Job. He is a great, great man. And we are going to see an insight into Satan's character in comparison to contrast. Look at one nine of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds have spread throughout the land now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. Classic example of Satan's character. Satan is into tearing down. God is proud and pleased with his servant Job. He's, you know, he's elevating him. Satan is in the habit of tearing down all those, especially if they are close followers of the one true God. You remember one of his titles? The old King Jimmy puts it this way, the accuser of the brethren, a title of Satan, 1210 of Revelation. NIV puts it this way, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. That's, it's a characteristic of Satan. He loves to accuse, likes to accuse the brethren, likes to accuse the followers of the one true God. It is a challenge to you and I, are we people who tear down or are we people who build up with our comments? 112. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself you must not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Mm. I, I want to say, friends, we may well underestimate just how much the spiritual realm is influencing us here on planet earth. I think we just need to be mindful of that. I know as evangelicals, we believe it, but perhaps we underestimate just how much it's influencing what's going on down here. Well, let's see what happens. 1.13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians, they're coming up from the south, the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell. Well, we know it wasn't the fire of God. The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down. Remember, we saw where the Chaldeans lived in the map up north. Swept down on on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. We we have this old adage, don't we? Bad things come in threes. Perhaps it comes from this. (laughs) Um, Devastating stuff in the space of probably no more than... An hour or so, Job gets all of this news back to back. I mean, how do you cope with that? What was Job, what would he be thinking to himself? What's going on? His assets have just been taken from him. Can I suggest this? Because we want to look now in this half of the message now, the second half, about all of Job's losses. Number one, loss of assets. Loss of assets. You've got to remember, there's no insurance in those days. So he's lost all of that. So the bulk of his assets are just gone. Uh, the yoke of oxen, what were the oxen used for? We had 500 yoke of oxen, 1,000 oxen. You Imagine the amount of fields he could plough up with that. But he's lost now, the oxen and all the servants, all the people that are employed to look after that. They're all gone. Secondly, his flocks of sheep, camels and donkeys you know, no. They, he, sh- he sold his sheep, he sold his donkey, he says they bred them, you know, it's all part of farming. They've all gone, they've gone. But you know, friends, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. One eighteen. while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. And they are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. By the way, it reminds us of something of how Satan operates. The first section, he uses people to accomplish his tasks. The second section here, he uses natural disasters to accomplish his tasks. It's not a natural disaster. Satan was behind it. But it looks like a natural disaster, doesn't it? Just be mindful of that. The second great loss for Job. Job lost his children, number two. Loss of children. Loss of children. It's hard to get your head around this, isn't it? What would that be like? Perhaps to use a modern example, it's like, so a so guy's got this job, he really likes it. Tremendous position, very much keeping, uh, in keeping with his skills, loves the work, gets paid a packet to do it as well. Fantastic stuff. Suddenly he gets a sack, gets dismissed. Driving home, feeling really sad. You know, man, this is, that was so unpredictable. Can't believe it. Parks the car in the garage, comes upstairs and sees his wife bawling her eyes out. What's going on? Elder son. He had all the kids in the car and they've had this terrible accident. They're all dead. The kids are all dead. That's what it would be like, friends. You know, how, how do you cope with that? What do you do? How do you respond? Well, this is how Job responded. At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. First of all, it's a cultural thing. He shaves his head and tears his robe. It's a, a cultural thing of mourning, uh, of loss, of grief. And that, that was very predictable. What was not predictable is then he fell on his knees and worshipped God. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. Extraordinary. And you see, this is what the Father in heaven, the Creator, was saying about him. His character is amazing. My boy, Job. Well, we sung a song about it today. Remember? Remember? Matt Redman wrote the song, Blessed Be Your Name, based on those verses I just read. Remember, you give and take away, you give and take away, we sung. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Other lines in the song, one of the verses, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You know, it's so easy to grumble when we experience loss Um, many of us at the moment we're we're facing these rising interest rates and so whether you've got a mortgage or whether you're renting a house either way you're going to be paying more money out Uh, Pemi and I were just uh, chatting about it the other day and so we're we're about 270 bucks worse off than what we were and that's about to rise to 310 bucks a month worse off than what we were Um, you know we we, all of us are thinking we could do without this (laughs) Um, but um, we heard other news this week Um, just a few days ago uh, I got this email as my wife did and it's basically saying you have avoided land tax so when we we shot off to England we rented our house out about six and a half years ago and um, because we'd lived there for years you don't have to pay land tax if you're living the house but you rent it out you have to pay land tax well we'd I think we kind of knew that, but we'd totally forgotten about it. And so we get this very formal legal document saying, you're, you're you know, six and a half years behind in your land tax. And I think, oh, goodness, okay. And uh, Pammy actually called them up and they said, well, actually, it's very common. People just completely, if, unless they do this as a business, they completely forget about it. Um, but... We still got to pay that three and a half grand that we owe, <laughs> so that we got to So I, I drive into church that day. This is, I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday this week, and I'm grumbling. Man, I'm really cranky about it. You know, so a very bad attitude. So n- none of this. Blessed be your name, Lord. I'm grumbling. <laughs> but you know that's the reality, friends. I mean, we can so often have a, what is a much more minor loss and not have anything like that extraordinary attitude that Job carried. And I do want to thank you too as a congregation because I know that probably some of you are thinking, as we saw it in the offerings, in um, June and July, we had a real dip in our offerings and some of you were probably thinking, oh man, what are we going to do about these interest rates? And uh, in August, I know the offering's a really big offering again for August, which is great to see. And it speaks of your faith. You might have got a shaken a bit, but you're back into saying, no, I'm going to put God first with my finances no matter what. So thank you for doing that. In fact... um, The offering in August was 49% higher than the offering in July, so quite a significant step up. But you see, it wasn't just his assets that he lost, was it? He lost his kids, his adult sons and daughters, 10 in total. I know of a pastor who had a similar loss. some of you may have heard of Pastor Danny Guglielucci. He pastors the Edge Church in Adelaide, fantastic church. I have been there. I don't know if he's still pastoring, but he planted it and grew a mega church there. Um, at the Crossway Conference, we had him out one year. He was the keynote speaker. And also, as a, when I was on staff at Crossway, we had him twice, I think it was, to speak at the staff retreat. Uh, so Crossway being a mega church, a lot of staff on the staff retreat. So there used to be over 70 of us at the staff retreat. And twice he was the keynote speaker, so I got to know him. I used to make a beeline to sit next to him for lunch, which I, which I did most of the time. <laughs> Fortunately, we hit it off, gone on really well. He's a funny guy, but a very insightful man. You know, one day he leans across to me like this. He's, he's having lunch and he whispers and He says, just a little secret between you, me and you, Lee. Little, little secret between me and you, Lee. I don't do emails. My secretary does them all." <laughs> But, yeah, funny guy. He's had a couple of major tragedies with his sons. Let me tell you about what happened in 2016. His son, um, Chris, Chris Guglielmucci, is a youth pastor of Victory Church in Adelaide. 2016, he's running a youth camp. Um, About 100 teenagers there at the youth camp, and a storm sweeps over the youth camp. Chris is struck with lightning and killed. Just like that. Let's have a look at the campsite. So this is on the same day, I understand, when the picture was taken. Storm was swept over. Somewhere around there, Chris was just struck with lightning, Chris Gugliamucci and died. So here he is, Danny's son, Pastor Danny's son, the one I got to know. He's running the youth camp for God, and apparently a very, very good youth camp, he was very good at the skills of very talented musician, singer and youth leader, preacher, there he is running the youth camp and he gets struck dead with lightning during the youth camp, no one else dies, just Chris, I mean, how does Danny cope with that, he's dad, God what are you doing, what's that all about, but you see it gets worse than that, he's married, young wife, four kids, dad's gone, husband's gone, struck with lightning, as he's running a youth camp. I wonder what was going on in the spiritual realm. I wonder what was going on in the spiritual realm. Well, let's look at the next scene in heaven. Job chapter two, verse one. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself. Before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth and going to and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Another way that could be translated is, though I lifted my protection from him. Look at Satan's response. Skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life. Now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Satan wasted no time. Verse seven, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it and sat among the ashes. My goodness. You know, it's one thing to go through trials when you feel okay. But what if you're also feeling physically extremely unwell? just makes everything so much worse now by the way when his friends come and see Job later we'll read about that in a moment Job is so disfigured by these by what's going on with his skin with this condition they barely recognized him so this is serious and he's sitting out in the ash heap that's the dump he goes to the local dump sits there scrapes himself a bunch of pottery man number three Another loss for Job, loss of physical health. Loss of physical health. Let me tell you the story of Fudge. Fudge is a, a youth leader I knew when I was in Sydney. And um, he's a great guy. If you've ever heard me say cool bananas, that's who I got it from. He used to say it all the time. <laughs> um Farge, he was a youth leader himself, but also used to, for his own youth group, but he used to minister to a lot of young people. And, uh, you know, so many young people that would comment on the fact of how he was able to encourage them, be a listening ear, and and many of them seemed to be helped through a difficult journey by this young lad, Farge, this young youth leader. Um, Farge had a motorcycle accident. I caught up with Fajr after the accident and one of his hands was just kind of all twisted. He was in a wheelchair, head to the side and as I'm chatting to him, every 30 seconds to a minute, he winces in pain. He goes something like this. Now, he'd been to specialists, surgeons, medication, the whole thing, but the fact is um, his body was a mess and he was still in a lot of pain. His first phrase to me was this God's still good. God is still good. And as I chatted with this young adult, I could not believe his attitude. Just so positive, no resentment towards God. And, um, you know, in all honesty, because of the way he carried himself through just a horribly traumatic thing, his witness became even more powerful. I was chatting with um, uh, uh, one of the fathers of some teenagers that he'd had a big impact on. And this guy wasn't a believer. And he said, how can something so horrible happen to such a good man? And his inference was, why did God do that to him, that idea? And I said, well, you need to go and talk with Fudge because that's not the way he sees it. Go and talk with him about it. (sighs) He was a remarkable example. Job 2.9, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. You know, um, <laughs> I remember a preacher saying one day, you know, God's taken everything off Job. He's just left him his nagging wife. Ah, but it's another loss for job isn't it number four loss of his wife's respect number four loss of his wife's respect you know just just quietly friends sometimes your spouse can give you the worst advice under the sun seriously they can you know um And there's a a few shakes and nods and pats around the place. (laughs) Um, But where do you think that advice came from? Curse God and die. Isn't that exactly what Satan would want her to say to him? See, the fact is, um, all of us are influenced by the spiritual realm. And yes, your husband or wife can be as well and sometimes very negatively influenced. Well, let's have a look at Job 2.11. Just before I read this, let me just mention something that I've been made aware of many years ago. Witches pray against Christian marriages. That's just one of the things they target. They pray against Christian marriages that Satan will destroy them. Just bear that in mind. 211. When Job's three friends, Elipaz the Temnite, and Bildad the Shoe Height, by the way, Chuck Swindle reckons the shortest person is in the Bible is Bildad. Seriously, he's, I've heard him say it. He said, Yeah, Bildad's the shortest person in the Bible. Look, he's only a shoe height. <laughs> Bildad the shoe <Shuhite>. height. <laughs> and so for the, the Naamathite heard about this, their troubles, uh, they came. All the troubles that had come upon Job. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. See, told you. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, let me pause there for a moment. These guys, I think, were very good friends. You know, um, they arrived purely to be there with him, and they were. I mean, they, they were gobsmacked. They just started to, to ball their eyes out when they saw his suffering. They sat with him. They didn't say anything for seven days. They just wanted to be there with him. My friends, one of the things that I have seen over the years, no matter how good your friendships are, Satan can get in there and destroy them. Let's have a look what happened to Elipaz. Job 4.12. Elipaz says this. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people. Fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. The hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? What do those questions remind you of? Here it reminds me of the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit in the garden? So what's happened? Elipaz, one of those nights when he's there sitting with Job, I think Satan himself comes and he whispers questions into his mind, trying to suggest that Job... Job thinks he's more righteous than God. That's why he's suffering. Now, did Job think that? No, he didn't. But Elipaz thought it was wisdom when actually it was a lie that that spirit had said to him. But unfortunately, then Elipaz seems to influence the other guys. Look at Bildad here. Eight four. When your children sinned against him, sinned against God, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So in other words, Bildad is saying, when that house collapsed on top of your kids, it's because they were sinful. That's the problem. There's no evidence in the Bible that was the case at all. Bildad is not speaking the truth here, despite the fact he thinks he is. What about Zophor? Zophor speaks more like a counsellor here. 11.14, he says... Job, if you put away the sin that's in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then, free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm without fear. Because Zophar's convinced that Job is suffering all this stuff because he's got some nasty sin in his life. And he's saying, look, if you repent of it, God will restore you. But all this indicates a further loss, doesn't it? Number five, last point. Loss of the respect of his friends. Loss of the respect of his friends. All this must be taking an incredible toll on Job. Pastor Pastor Arthur Cherry planted a church in Berwick, became it was called wine press excellent church very very good church i used to catch up with arthur from time to time arthur was telling me he and his wife actually and my wife the four of us were together and he said when i got he told me a story about what happened when he got long back from long service leave i knew he'd been on long service leave and he said i arrived back and half the board members had resigned I thought, what is going on and they had a fairly big board too um and then I find out that one of the board members, one of the ladies on the board had accused Arthur and his wife of embezzling money from the church to pay for their holiday. And she spread that around the board. But what Arthur was so shocked at, he said, I've known some of those board members for years. I could not believe they bought into what you were saying. Just could not believe it. Well, the books were opened and um, there was no embezzlement whatsoever. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. It was a complete fabrication, a lie this board member had made up. But Arthur went on to say it was so destructive because people heard about it, people left the church over it and it was completely false. And he, he went on to tell me, he, um, he went to meet with uh, one of his deno- the denominational leader of his movement, AOG movement, and, um, and he said, look, I'll be honest, I was expecting some sympathy. And uh, rather, <laughs> he said... Arthur, Arthur, now come on, mate. What do you expect? Of course there's going to be conflict. Of course there's going to be warfare. You're in a spiritual battle, brother. Rise up. Come on, get back on with it. What do you think you're doing, mate? Do the battle. Defeat Satan. Glorify Jesus. Arthur's there thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> expect a bit of sympathy here. But <laughs> Uh, But he went on to say, you know, in hindsight, actually, I think that might have been the right thing to say to me. Might have been the right thing. As as painful as that was, knowing that these friends had believed this woman instead of me, Um, but nevertheless, what my denominational leader said was what I needed to hear. Well, friends, um, as we move to the epilogue of Job, chapter 42, We're told here that indeed his three friends were not offering accurate advice at all. Verse 7, 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temnite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. That would have been humbling for them. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. He says it again. So Eliphaz the Temnite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite, did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. I was saying this to um, one of our brothers this morning. In the thick of suffering, in the heat of trial, you can feel it's going to go. It's going to last forever, but mostly trials don't. Mostly trials are for a season. For Job, it may have been several months. That's the most natural reading of it. Probably a few months Job went through all this suffering. But it didn't go forever. And I just want to say that as a word to you this morning. You may be going through a serious patch at the moment. It's difficult. It's a trial. But my word to you from the Scriptures this morning is, friends, it's a season. It's a season. God is going to turn the corner. He will help you out of this in time. It may not be very long; maybe just around the corner. Let's read these final words: Job forty-two, twelve. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Mm, amen. Actually, let's have the worship team return because we're going to finish with that fantastic song of Matt Redmond's. We'll make it a prayer this morning. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. The second, Keziah. The third, Kerenhapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. He's a modern man, Job. After this, Job lived 140 years and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Friends, as we sing this last song here today, blessed be your name. Remember the scripture that I quoted it from? In the life of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shout apart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Or as the older version puts it, Blessed is the name of the Lord.